Better do. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lees, here with my good friend, Richard Harris. And we are joined today by Richard Smith, who is one of our new good friends from across the pond. And uh, he's somewhere near Newcastle in the UK right now. How's it going, Richard Smith? Not too bad. I feel privileged. Good to have you here. So, Richard Smith, I'm just going to call you Smith, and I'm going to call Richard Harris Harris for the rest of this episode, just to try to simplify things. Uh, give give our uh, give our audience a little a little background on on what you're doing right now. Like, what's what's Refract? You have you know you're the you're the co-founder and head of sales at Refract. So tell everybody what Refract is and and what the sale is like. Like who you're selling to, what what the yeah. cycle is like, and things like that. Yeah, so been doing this about five years now. Uh, Refract was really born from my own experiences in sales as a budding SDR way back in the day uh, and a subsequent account executive and subsequent manager of teams. Um, a lot of the frustrations I felt kind of trying to learn the ropes in sales growing up, uh, but then being able to coach and help other salespeople get better at what they do. So that was the kind of the reason that we we built the product. Um, the best way I can kind of describe it is um, so much of so much of sales happens in conversations that we have. Uh, if you have good conversations, you have good outcomes. If you have bad conversations, you you have you don't you don't have a good good outcomes. Um, the problem is there's so many facets to a good conversation sales. Um, and it's very hard to teach and coach salespeople to have better conversations with, with prospects without the ability of recording what actually happens in the, in, in the call. Um, are you, are you guys focused with your product on, um, coaching the, the frontline sales reps and, and SDRs, or are you focused on coaching sales leaders and sales managers or is it both? It's the former, but I guess what one of the things that we see is that um, a lot of companies that use Refract are starting to use it to understand how managers interpret conversations, how they actually coach and give feedback to their reps. Really trying to do what has long never happened of actually teaching managers to be good coaches. Um, uh, and so that's a kind of a new benefit, a new use case that we're seeing. But in the main, it's about actually helping the individual contributor get better at what they do. Um, I think the best the best way to describe it when I when I speak with um, managers and coaches is saying, you know, would you let's take Liverpool? You've got the, the scarf in the background there, Scott. It's like, you know, could 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 Jurgen Klopp do a good job of actually helping his team get better if he doesn't watch us back the tape of the match on Saturday? Um, and what Jurgen yeah. Klopp does with his team every every Monday morning before they go on the training pitch is they sit in the cinema room and they watch the game from the, the, the weekend and they break down, you know, what went well, which is often they do most things well, Liverpool, but they look at what didn't work out, what areas do they need to improve on on the training pitch. Uh, they look at the game tape of the opposition they've got coming up on the weekend and look at what, you know, what they do well and try and strategize. And this is exactly what we're doing in, in sales. Yeah. And I just want to tell you everything... I just like how you say everything with, with, a, with a European vernacular. So now I have to think harder about, wait a minute, 
on the pitch in the film room like I, that's fantastic so, in the cinema <laughs> I'm just diversifying the podcast, really, you know, making this more of a, a global show versus U.S. That's right. Yes. We appreciate we that. Need, we, need, we need his help tremendously. Um, so, so who are you selling to and what is the cycle like? Are you selling? So, you know, I've been a VP of sale a number of times, VP of sales. So are you like prospecting your team, prospecting out towards somebody like me? Am I, am I the buyer? And, and how long is that process? you know, typically take and, and what's the outreach like for you guys right now? Yeah, yeah, very much VPs of sales, CROs, really the person that who's, you know, their, their job is essentially relies on how well their sales team execute. Um, also, they'll have a vested interest if they've got frontline sales managers making sure they're, they're doing what they should be doing, which is, you know, working with the team and helping them get better every day. Um, sales cycles, our average sales cycle is 39 days, um, based on when I last checked. Uh, so it's not a long, complex yeah. sale. Um, I actually think it's really easy to build the value of what we do and sell the value to a sales leader because oftentimes I'm speaking with sales leaders and they, they, they don't really, they're not really happy with the effectiveness of their team. And, you know, my product is never one that's budgeted for. Nobody ever has a budget for my product. Nobody ever earmarks a, a budget, but oftentimes it's a compelling reason to buy as to why they'd want to buy it. So, so you know, talk it's, about uh, that for a second. Like I, I love this, right? And and I think that so much of the world there is no budget for, right? Like they because they don't even know that this stuff exists in some cases. So in your mind, how do you whether it's this product or another one, how do you approach someone like like Scott? who's like hey man you know richard this is really cool we just don't have the budget for it how do you then i'm trying to give the listeners a, a position of like oh i think i'd love to learn how you do that yeah i actually wrote a post about this this morning actually um or similar to this um i think the budget objection particularly now more than ever a lot of sales reps are getting hit with this with the you know in some cases tougher economy that they're that they're selling in or tougher market, you know, market conditions is they're probably hearing more, now more than ever, you know, not that there's no budget where we're cutting costs. And I think part of the mistake that a lot of salespeople fall down is that they don't seek to properly understand what that truly means. And oftentimes the budget issue typically is just the easiest thing for a lot of people to say. Of course, they don't have spare cash just lying about about that they're ready to spend on the latest tool that gets presented in front of them but i think the key uh, thing here is to is to truly understand the extent of what no budget is like no budget right now cutting costs could mean we're laying off literally half of our workforce right now <laughs> okay maybe maybe this isn't the best time to be having a discussion with you right now about about our product yeah no budget yeah. could be you know we're cutting we're cutting costs and these other tools that we don't get much use of right now because there's a bit of a spotlight on them right now however yours might actually be what we need in the current situation so i i think the best way to do that is to to, to ask that question front on of the prospect and i'll say something like yeah i hearing that a lot right now no budget in fact most people i speak with right now are telling me the cutting costs it just takes away the kind of the pressure from the room and just lowers that resistance of you know the prospect feeling like you're not just about to ignore what they just said 
Um, and then I'll say, just so I understand, when you say no budget, is this like, are you slashing costs in the company? Are you facing layoffs right now? Or is it that you're just being a bit more careful and selective about where you're spending your money? And so you'll, you're, get, a, you'll you're, get, you'll get an answer. So, yeah, no, I love this because what I'm hearing is, which is what I love to do, is anytime I hear a buzzword, right, like budget, you know, I want to drill down. And I always say, well, what do you mean when you say that? Because it could have about a hundred different meanings, right, depending on who I talk to in the day of the week. And so you're just, from a, from a sales process perspective, you're talking about keep asking more clarifying questions. Keep clarifying till you understand where, where they are in their own headspace, right? We've been talking a lot about you got to meet your prospects or clients in their own head, in their own mind. And people buy and sell pictures. They don't buy and sell words. So they use a word, but mm. behind that word budget is some picture. There's some picture of them in a meeting with their CEO who said cut. There's some meeting with the CEFO. There's somebody saying, hey, go, go tell us which tools we are not using, right? So we're trying to get to that picture. So I, I love how you, how you did it. And, and for those listening, it's just keep asking more clarifying questions around buzzwords. That's how I interpret what you said. Right. And I think also an interesting comment that I had on my, on my status, Richard, that someone said is that the person who says no budget, it's usually the person who doesn't, would never even hold a budget anyway. They, they just kind of, they just had that message funneled down from them, funneled down to them from, from up top. Um, or they've just heard it kind of mentioned in a meeting, sales meeting somewhere of like, oh, budgets are tight right now. And that's, they feel like they're doing their job to kind of uh, put that message out to the, to the world. Um, but, you know, I think the, uh, for, for me, it's just, it's one of the easiest things to deal with. And I think people kind of stress about, oh, I'm getting hit with no budget right now. And what do I say? What do I do? And it's so hard. And most of the time, they're not even taking the step of actually understanding what that really means. Um, they're just hearing it and they're kind of thinking, what, what magical, mystical objection handling technique can I use to, to swerve around it? And it's just, you know, that, that's yeah. not the way that you do it. So I want to I want to I want to clarify even further, and I love what you just said, which is the person who says no budget usually doesn't have this, you know, doesn't hold the purse strings to the budget. So let's say you say they don't that have the credit say, card, yeah. Right. Let's say let's say someone says, well, you know, I don't have a budget. So now you've trained yourself that oh, this that means this person doesn't have the budget. How do you then navigate through that part of the conversation? Because clearly you have to go around them, but you don't want to offend somebody. Right. You don't you may already have good rapport. How do you then approach it there? Good question. I'll give you an example of this. This exact thing happened to me last week um, where I was actually speaking to a, uh, an SDR manager. So they're not I, I knew outright they're not the decision maker. They're not they're not that they're highly likely not to have any authority to um, spend any money but they are ultimately the person who would probably get most value out of our product and who would use it. I get hit with a no budget. Oh, we're actually cutting costs. So I kind of say, okay, just so I understand, um, is it the case that there is literally, there is a spending freeze right now or do you just need some help? And first of all, understanding the products that are going to bring you most value right now, the situation that you find yourself in right, right now. And then will you just need some help trying to put a case forward to whoever it is that decides on spending money that this is a worthwhile investment? And I got the kind of the latter answer of, well, yeah, if, 
if there's something there that can really help us right now, then, then we're all years. I'll just need to, I'll just need to build a case for my boss. In my opinion, building a business case and building a, you know, helping your champion sell in is just part of your job in any sales cycle. It's just, again, you just, it's, it's, it's the objection from, from the off is just a, it's just a, it's just a God that they've put out in front of them. And it's just, so how do you do it like any other way. I love this. And I'm going to keep drilling on this because I think it's a great topic. Uh, certainly very poignant at the moment as, as you know, it's really May and we're in the middle of, of the COVID situation, but it'll, this, this objection has existed for a long time. Right. So you've clarified what no budget means. You've clarified that, you know, if you can position a, a use case or a case study to help this person become a champion, how do you then make sure that champion goes and delivers the message the right way, right way, right? Obviously, look, I know you, you're going to say, great, let's see if we can get them on a call and, you know, that kind of stuff. But let's say they like, no, I can't get them on a call. How do you then position that champion to go do it in the way that you know it needs to be done so they don't just sort of go, hey, I saw this really cool tool called Refract, and their boss goes, how much is it? And they go, well, you know, it's, it's $10,000. I'm like, no, like, like, we all know that's what happens. So how do you manage that part of the yeah, process yeah. when you're not there? It's a really good question, Richard. I think um, one of the pitfalls that I see of people making discovery calls is that they, they kind of, everyone sort of thinks that the people they sell to were dead used to buying stuff. And actually, a lot of the time, we're selling to people who are just really inexperienced buyers. This might be the first time that they've ever bought anything like what you sell before. It might be the first thing that they've ever actually, ever, ever, the first time they've ever been involved in a buying cycle. Um, and so, we have to do a job of kind of taking that person by the hand and I kind of think of it like walking through the, it's like the GPS map and you've got to walk and take that person in the car with you to, to get to the end point. Um, and so one of the things I, I do and I know that my, you know, we taught my, my team to do is to, is to build business cases with the champion. Say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this insanely easy for you so that you've got something that you can just take to your boss um, and I'll just, once we've, once we've identified, first of all, there's a, a genuine compelling reason why they'd want to actually buy the product, which is the, the first step. There's no point building a business case until you've actually established that is I'll just get them on a call and I'll kind of share a Google doc with them and we'll just start kind of typing out. I'll start asking them questions and start to put some of their, their own team's metrics into the business case. Okay. Right. So you told me that right now, um, you've only got one person hitting quarter in your team, right? What's that person? What's the number that they're doing? Okay. Tell me about the rest of the team. What would it mean if you could increase the, their performance by 20%? Okay. Your current ramp time of new hires is X. What do you pay in generally in salary? What would it mean if that you could bring down balance? I'm just asking the questions that they know the answers to, but I'm just kind of helping to build that Google doc, but making it seem like it's a partnership, almost typing it out with them. And then at the end of it, I just give them a nice document to say, okay, take, take it to your boss. Um, and this is, this is what I want you to present it to. And we agree on what that conversation sounds like. Um, and it's often a really effective method that they feel that they've, they actually feel that they've, it makes it feel like they've actually put that business case together. It makes them look more professional. It makes them look like they've done a lot more due diligence themselves and uh, prospects love it. They, they love that conversation of kind of building this business case they can take to their boss and, yeah, I also I also think though that that's what real rapport building is. You you've often you you know Richard Smith has often off has also left them with this. Hey, Richard's not gonna, Richard's going to make sure I don't say anything stupid. 
It's going to make sure right. that even if I get a no, I'm going to go in intelligently, that I'm going to position myself well. So hopefully that's also coming through, which then means even if it's not now, later there's trust. Like that's, that's, that's how you build real trust, right? And um, it's interesting because Scott does a similar thing, but he likes to role play it out loud. Um, and he's on mute at the moment because he's got noisy kids like I do. Um, I just chained mine up for a few minutes. Um, but, but you do it from a doc perspective. Scott does it in this verbal conversation thing. So I love, I love that approach. Yeah. Um, so another little tip there that um, one of my colleagues does is similar to kind of Scott's approach of role playing is I'd always ask if, if, if your champion has to go to a, to their boss to get, to get sign off and you're never going to get a conversation with that person is ask the question. Okay. So does that person, your boss, do they, if, if they say no, does this kill this deal? And they'll typically say, yeah. Say, okay. If they say yes, does that mean we're going forward? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what are the reasons you'd be going forward? When you ask that question to your prospect, what they will do is they will actually tell you the reasons why they're buying. And oftentimes you find out reasons that they're buying that you, in their own words, that you never even thought they were that important in the sales, in, the, in that entire process. And they just sit and tell you basically their, their sales pitch as to what the, 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 and you can, the order that they give you those reasons is the order of importance that they put on them. And so you get an idea as to what is actually most important for them of what, what key value they've seen in your product. And, yeah, you know, and, then you, and then you, and then you focus that on that item, the rest of the sales process. And it informs you as you move forward with, with other deals in your pipeline. Right. You might, you might remember, Oh, this particular thing that I wasn't expecting is actually more prominent. So now we can potentially change our, our playbook and our scripting and our points of emphasis and all this stuff. I, I always ask those kind of questions just like you do. So I love that you uh, brought that up. I want to, I want to change the subject and ask you a little bit of what it's like being a tech entrepreneur in, uh, in the UK and, and, and in Newcastle area. I mean, the traditional kind of way here is, you know, get some venture capital money and, and uh, grow a team and you know doing raise and growth round and all that kind of stuff there's plenty of people here who you know bootstrap still and, and build companies um you know kind of the old-fashioned way or whatnot but i'm completely clueless about what the norm is in the in the uk um so maybe you can talk to us a, a little bit about that and what that journey has been like for you going from you know working for somebody else to you know, running your own um, technology company. Yeah, I think um, as far as like raising money and you, in the UK, you've got kind of London and then you've got everything outside of London. And like, you know, investment rounds in London are, you know, relatively small fry versus anywhere in the US. <laughs> so when you compare that, say if you've got the northeast of England, Newcastle, you know, the amounts of, uh, investment and funding and opportunities on that front available are, are largely very limited uh, and um, you know obviously very very small fry to, to, to what, what would be um, so is it does it even become part of the focus then or when, when you when you decide to go do your own business or are you just sort of operating under the understanding like I got to bootstrap this sucker 
and we got to be very intentional about how we spend capital and you know grow much slower and that type of thing no i mean that i think you know we, we we've raised money as a business you know we've gone on the vc route but you know the sums we're talking about are, um, yeah. are just significantly lower so we have to i think get a bit smarter about how we grow um it's not all about okay right we're going to go and hire 20 sales reps right now um it's just a lot more got to be a bit more just organic in 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 those respects and that the money that you raise can kind of help you you know grow a little bit faster but maybe not as as as, as fast as you want um i think being up in newcastle as a as an example newcastle um has always been renowned for having quite a even as a as a relatively small city it's been renowned for having quite a um quite a kind of buzzy tech startup kind of ecosystem um I didn't, and, I didn't know that that's that's great i didn't know that yeah yeah for sure i mean outside of london definitely one of the the regions that uh there's been yeah. a lot of like um uh accelerators and, and things like that um and so it's i think as a result like it's because it's not a it's not a big city and there's not huge amounts of investment when you do raise money you kind of become well known in that in that yeah, region your profile gets elevated a little bit right exactly in that particular area yeah yeah um but then you know i think uh, and we've we really like that and we really like the fact that we're a local company and that we've you know it's we're kind of outside of the of the london bubble and um you know, it still makes me laugh. I think the mo- when I, whenever whenever we're selling to North American companies, we say we're selling to a company on the the West Coast and Silicon Valley. I think they're always a lot of the time they actually don't realise that we're in we're in the UK or in Newcastle. They think that it's just a you know I'm just a, a British person who uh, migrated <laughs> over a few years ago and um, they think you're from Newcastle, California, which is uh, just east of Sacramento on the oh, way wow. to Tahoe. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize there was a Newcastle. I knew there was one in Australia, but not in, a, not in North America. Um, but yeah, it's 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 fun, and I think uh, it's fair to say that even though we have received, you know, raised a, a relatively a very small amount of money, we we feel like we punch above our weight in this uh, category that we find ourselves in. What are you know? I noticed obviously you're a co-founder, right? So as you, I'm going to shift again a little bit. Were you, are you the business-minded co-founder, the tech-minded co-founder? And I'm wondering what that relationship is like early and what advice you can give to people on, on having co-founders and trying to find the right one, right? It's like trying to, it's trying yeah. to like find a rock band, right? Yeah, so we're a little bit different at Refract. I think most um, SaaS companies, is a, when they're founded, nearly always have a tech founder on board. In fact, that's mainly the person who usually finds the business they've, they've created the product. We were very different. So me and Kevin, uh, a co-founder and CEO, um, we both worked with each other at a previous company and we're both sales people by trade. That's, that's what, that's what we, that's what we've always done. That's, that's unique and different there in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the first version of the product, we, we outsourced the development of that. Um, and since then, Paul, who's our, it's kind of a three-way co-founder. We we hired Paul like two years into the journey, but because he's just been so instrumental, really to kind of where the product is today, we we wanted to really make him a co-founder as well, make him feel part of that because he, you know, without without him, we would never have the product would never be to where it is uh, today. Um, but 
but I think that was massively beneficial to us. I think I, I've I've done some mentoring with some um, startups before, and they're, they're largely like tech, you know, they're they're, te- they're technical founders, and I've done like sales kind of workshops with them. And the one thing that always kind of baffles me is that with technical co-founders, they just don't see themselves as salespeople, and they agonize for months and months about having the perfect, you know, MVP. And I'm like, God, if you saw what Refract was MVP, it makes me kind of cringe when I think about it now. I'm amazed that anybody paid any money for it, but they did. And I think you, you just need to get out there and start selling. And collectively, me and Kevin in those early days were literally just selling, selling Refract, taking literally whatever people were prepared to pay, but we take, we, you know, we, we take the money. And it helped us build that kind of foundation of customers, traction, you know, proof of, uh, proof of revenue, even if it was small fry to, to investors. Um, and it kind of like the, the product does not need to be perfect. Doesn't need to look polished. Doesn't need to yeah. work the way you want it in those early stages. It's like, a really, really good point. And I, I work with a ton of early stage companies as well. And, um, I, I, I'm always telling them like, man, all of these features that you're thinking about, <clears throat> they might be irrelevant. Right. To your earlier point, Smith, about like delivering a, a pitch and somebody telling you, actually, this is like the main pain point, the main reason that I like about this. And you're like, oh, shit, I wasn't even thinking about that. Right. So I, I, I always love trying to get out there early and test the messaging and, and test the product. And there's so much to be learned uh, in doing that. So I'm always encouraging people to get out there sooner rather than later. So. Uh, it's cool that that you guys had that instinct from the start because maybe you, you're the two main co-founders at the beginning were salespeople. That's different. How do you? How did you go about finding that tech person? Right. Granted, you also had a partner to sort of bounce the idea of like, hey, is this the right person or not? Which is really really nice. But I do think people, whether they're the tech mind looking for the business side or the business side looking for the tech side. Th- th- you don't, you may or may not know what you're looking for because you, that's just not your world, right? Yeah. What, what we advice were, do you give people for that? I mean, we were really lucky that Paul, our CTO, um, we worked, we'd worked with him at a previous company as well. So we kind of knew what we were getting. Um, I think what was maybe a little bit of an unknown was when we'd worked with him, he was just a kind of a, a senior developer. Like it was difficult to really, you've got to have such a chemistry as a co-founding team you know you kind of live and breathe and ride on the roller coaster and have to be there to pick each other up and you know when everyone's down and all the rest of it and you maybe you've just never had that kind of relationship i we hadn't had that relationship with paul to that extent at that to that stage there's a lot of trust and a lot of a lot of like boundaries that you have to suddenly put around each other and say welcome them in and say every you know the conversations that me and kev have together behind closed doors we got to have those conversations with you two now and be totally comfortable with it so i think there's i think maybe it's to have that true trust and understanding of do you work together you know do you if 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 one of you is having a bad day can can you pick each other up and so that is some of the the best most important things you can have as a co-founding team, but it's, it takes time to get to that level with somebody. So it's, um, it's certainly not something that you would just take a punt on. I don't think, I think you have to be quite sure of yourself before you do it. 
makes sense. Richard's now Richard's the one who's got tons of noise from children and and everything else going on uh, <laughs> over there. Have you guys um, seen sales cycles adjust and things like that because of everything that's going on, or have you managed to just kind of play through that? So what we've seen is that maybe a lot of prospects that were already in our pipeline two months ago, a lot of those have got stuck. Their situation's changed. What we've seen, though, is the new raft of <laughs> people who have come out of the woodwork and suddenly want Refract more than ever because their, you know, their world has changed and so they've got more of a demand for what we, ha what we have. Um, and with those guys, the sales cycles have been lower than ever. It just shows that those, that shift in market conditions, and when I say shift, in some respects, the world was turned upside down overnight, so it is a bit extreme, um, has, has seen us you know, bring a whole raft of new customers into the pipeline and over the line really, really quickly. Um, but it's also about changing your messaging as well. We, we've had to completely flip and really the value proposition of Refract. You know, we, we've, we've had to put a lot of thought into that. Um, you know, with a big focus right now on remote sales teams, uh, it's really kind of the thing that we're, we're, we're leading with. It's, you know, everyone's sales teams now are kind of from home. Everyone's alone, isolated. There's a lack of visibility. Into, you know, you're, you're no longer sat at the, on the other side of the desk to your salesperson. And so, um, yeah, we've seen a new raft of prospects who've came to us. It's, like, it's amazing. Like we've 80% of what we've done traditionally has been outbound and we've seen a huge shift towards inbound in the past few, few weeks. And I think that's just shown by, you know, the, suddenly people have much more of a need for what you what you yeah. sell with these changing conditions is you you talked about earlier when we were when we were just chatting like you've been quite intentional of late in the last year year and a half or so i think you said um kind of putting more content out on linkedin and building your brand and whatnot um one of the things that doesn't get talked about that often is the roi that comes from uh, those efforts. I think people talk about social selling all the time and they talked about, you know, um, prospecting through LinkedIn and that kind of stuff. But Richard and I can both attest to this. I mean, our entire surf and sales business was built off the back of just our content and right. network that we have on, on LinkedIn, let alone argu arguably both of our consulting businesses. So I'm curious if you could talk to like, the effect that that effort in building your own brand, uh, sharing your, you know, uh, your wisdom and, and stories with the global kind of sales community, what that has done in terms of bringing ROI to you and your, your business. It's scary really when I think about it, like it blows scary me. Good, scary, good, scary, bad, scary, good. I mean, it, yeah. it blows my mind that, LinkedIn right now, in my opinion, I mean, if they, I always think to myself, if LinkedIn 10 X their prices overnight, they'd have so many people saying, yep, no problem. Great. And I can't believe you just put that out into the universe right now. I mean, it, it pays it to say, because you know, the, the LinkedIn beast, but I think like there are so many, but that might be the first thing we ever edit out of our podcast. <laughs> I know Scott. I know Scott's got his personal beefs with uh, LinkedIn around. Yeah, uh, that's not one I've had to. I've had to go to the the, the table with yet, but I, I got a new one now. <laughs> but, but 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 what I mean by that is like, 
so many sales teams across the world rely on LinkedIn for their prospecting. So many people now rely on LinkedIn because of the reach that it's it's brought itself. It's funny, I there's a guy called uh, well, you you would have spoke, like he's been on the uh, he was meant to be on the uh, the the UK versus US throwdown we did. Benjamin Denner here, he he's very passionate about LinkedIn. He says it's not social selling, it's social marketing, and I totally believe him because he's saying I can put a post on LinkedIn, I don't have to do any work. And he says, I'm, I'm an order taker. People just come to me and say, oh, I want to hire you. And he's like, I haven't had to do any selling to them. Why, it's not called, like, why is it called social selling? And I, I kind of see a, a similar sort of thing in my world where I can build conversations without with doing very little by just sharing ex- expertise and sharing experience. And by the way, the amount of kind of traction which I get in my posts is relatively small compared to, compared to you guys. But... One of my one of my teams said to me um, the other week, "Hey, Rich, where you you know you you have a lot of opportunities, and where do you get your opportunities from?" And I'm like, probably about three quarters are from my LinkedIn network, with me having to do very yeah. little. I say very I little. Think, I mean, I have to I think, post I think every day. But I'm glad I'm glad we're talking about that. So, I mean, I think it's really important. I think people don't believe that business comes from these kind of things. But it, it, it absolutely does. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people just reach out to me and say, hey, I've been following some of your stuff for the last couple of months or for years, what have you. And uh, I'd love to talk to you because I think you might be able to help us. And then, boom, I've got a consulting gig, right? right. Or boom, we've got somebody who's uh, going to go to a surfing sales event or, or sponsor it. I mean, we're not talking about like a couple hundred dollars here. You know, yeah, we're talking yeah. about significant uh, <clears throat> ROI and investment from, like you said, you know, very little effort. That I mean, it's time consuming, but, you know, replying and interacting and engaging with people who are uh, engaging with your posts is not that hard compared to making 200 cold calls, right? Or, or figuring out a, a cadence and, and email, uh, you know, copy to approach people out there in the, in the marketplace. Oh. Yeah. But the, the difference too, though, Scott is, is one, um, you know, you can disagree with me. Our egos need to be stroked, you know, once or twice a day by how many, you know, views. We oh, get you get obsessed by it. You get, you get uh, truly obsessed by it. So it, it's, it's actually to the point of unhealthy, but yeah, I agree. But the, the other part is, is that, what you're doing is you're weeding through those 200 emails or phone calls that you made in a week to get to the handful of conversations. You're just doing it way faster and way more effective than any other thing that I've seen, right? Like I'm now talking to people who are buyers, will be buyers, influence buyers decisions because they're end users. Um, I'm talking, it is, it is my account-based marketing strategy. Right. LinkedIn is the account based marketing strategy, I think, for a lot of what we do. Um, and there are ways it's you can our, actually nuance that. Even it's better. almost the entirety of our demand gen funnel for our own businesses. What, yep. what, I, what I would say, though, Scott, as I think you did kind of maybe play it down a little bit too much around, yeah, it's time consuming. Like, it is time consuming. No, it's like, super time like, consuming. And, and it's like, you know, it's the days that I, the days that I post content. The, the interaction that I have to have around that content consumes the majority of my workday if I'm, if I'm not careful. So <clears throat> I, I 
I'm not one of these people who will post every single day. Number one, uh, I don't think I have that much to say or that many original thoughts. And if the spirit doesn't compel me to write something, then I don't write something. But number two, I consciously don't write things for a few days at a time so I can catch up on other work because it is so time consuming. Here's here's, here's one question I've got. So sometimes I'll see like a post that you put out, Scott, for example, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, they talk about if you post content, post it to your buyer. And I just want to kind of challenge that because sometimes I see posts, I see a post that you put out and it's, it's, it's not posted to your buyer who's maybe like a, I don't know, a CEO of a, of a tech company or it's just like you kind of sharing a, an opinion on something that just gets loads of traction and brings people to your profile, which is where they maybe learn about you and what you do. And I think people, people think in their head, oh, the posts I have to put out have to sink my buyer. They don't. They just no, have they to get traction don't. and audience. And the more yeah, people I, that you get interacting, the more people are going to check, check you out. I've actually had this exact conversation and, and borderline argument with uh, some other people who've got big followings on on LinkedIn and other places. And, um, you know, to me, it's about authenticity and, 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 and being real and true to kind of who you are. Like, I don't write things scientifically to like target particular buyers or anything like that. Like, I'm just sharing things that I've been through or stories, um, you know, or things that I'm, that I'm doing right now that seem to be working or not working and what have you. Um, and some of these thoughts like come into my head and five minutes later, boom, it's like a post and it'll do really well. And there's a difference between doing that and being like so scientific in your approach to what you're putting out there that I think it starts to get a little smelly. And I, and I think people can, can see through it sometimes, yeah. right? And I don't want to be viewed as somebody who's just like calculated all the time where everything that they are or everything that they write and talk about is like designed for the specific purpose to build my brand or designed to bring me business like no sometimes i'm just like shooting the shit and sometimes i just have a funny story and sometimes i'm frustrated and i want to i want to share that um but it's it's interesting i don't know richard i mean grin on his face over there like he doesn't believe me but uh i'm I'm nowhere near it literally typing into scott's into the message because I, I private message Scott during these. I'm like, you're so full of shit. That's not true. Um, it's, it's not true at all. <laughs> no, but I also, but I know you at an intimate level. I know that you, part of what you do too, though, is you wait to find something that that you think will resonate with people, not from a scientific approach, but from an emotional Oh, for approach. sure. That's one of the like, reasons why I don't post yeah, every single day. Right. Like if, if, if something doesn't... Right. Whereas me, I'm like, I post yeah. all the time, right? Like we're the opposite in that way. I post kind of all the time because I think it's interesting. And you post when you're like, oh, I think this is really interesting. Like there's, there's a different, there's a subtle difference between the two of us and how we do this. Um, and, you know, in all, in all due fairness, you know, you are... You, you get way more visibility than I do. So there's something to be said for, but it, it's back to Scott's original point. It, it is not easy to figure out. It's a full, it is a full-time job. Yeah. And the, the more you do it and the bigger you kind of, um, the bigger your network gets and everything, it gets, it gets harder. Uh, but it also gets a lot more rewarding and that, that reward can be, you know, bigger ROI in terms of deal flow and, and revenue, or it can be ROI in terms of impact that you're having on, 
on others. Um, well, well, here's the thing, yeah. right? If I didn't post Connor on, on LinkedIn, I would never be speaking to you guys today. That's 100% so, there's, there's, true. so, so, so there's, 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 there's benefits here beyond just creating pipeline. Like I look at, it's helped me get on podcasts that like, you know, little old Richard Smith, who's only been doing sales for 13 years is on, is on something getting invited on, you know, some of the, the most well-known kind of tech sales podcasts out there. It's getting involved on webinars. I'm speaking on stage at events. Okay. Maybe that's not for everybody. And I, and I get that, but what I'm doing is I'm building awareness and brand for my company. So people become, Oh, refract. I've heard of you. I know rich and I've seen him on stage and it's all of the kind of the, the other benefits to, to doing it. And I think a lot of people feel a bit, a lot of people cringe about it because they're like, they don't want to be seen as this kind of LinkedIn celebrity. And I kind of, I do understand that, but I think it's at the same time, I feel like it's, it's just a, a missed opportunity. Like the, the, the world of sales, in my opinion, has demanded that you're, you're missing out on opportunities by not doing it. You just have to find your voice to, to get comfortable with it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the, I wrote, how do you differentiate? I have a question for you. Like, let's say I'm your sales rep, right? Not you. Cause you, how do, how do you coach your, if they want to come to you and start doing more on LinkedIn, how will you coach them or do you coach them on their own personal brand and building that versus the refract brand? Like they may, you know, Scott and I have our own language. We have our own business. We can sort of talk shit cause we don't have a boss, right? Uh, I assume if I had a boss, my boss might not like that attitude. To be fair, I'm talking like this even when I did have bosses. <laughs> and it did get I, me in trouble sometimes. I, um, I really kind of, it winds me up how like some companies are very like, uh, you know, they're very draconian about, if you, unless you're posting about our company, then you're not, you're not allowed to post. And you know, there are companies out there that, that are very strict and have rules around that. Um, I've, so I, I, I've, one of my bugbears in life is trying to get my salespeople to do more of it. Like, you know, you've had a, you've had a, uh, a gal on your show, uh, very recently who's, you know, she's from a, she's from a competitor and she's, she's shown the way to do it. And it kind of like, it bugs me when I'm like saying, uh, I'm like uh, a gal on my sales team say, Hey, I'm not seeing, I'm not, I'm not seeing that many females in sales, building a great brand up for themselves LinkedIn. You could be the UK version of this person. Yes. And it's like, and it's like, here's some ideas and here's some inspiration. And Hey, some of the, my best ideas just come from my calendar. The call I had last week, the demo that I sat through the, the, you know, the, 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 the one, the one I had, I said, you, you're having all these experiences too. Like, imagine if you just did this and it's, I, I think it's, it's a desire factor. It's some people, they kind of, They've either got the desire to every night think of a great post in the head that they want to put out in the morning and be just consistent with it day after day. You, it's hard. But, but Richard, to your point, it is a pipeline. It is a demand gen, lead gen tool. That's their job. Why aren't you compensating them for it? You want them to do it? You can't. It, to your point, if they don't want to do it, mm -hmm. that's fine. But maybe if they're so, and maybe this is the question you need to ask is, Hey, do you not do this because you're afraid if you spend too much time on it, you're not going to be able to hit these other metrics? Like, and I, I made that's a, a, a valid conversation because you're trying to understand. They would, be, they, they, you know, not that they you're they, would, they would be compensated you know. on it if they if they if they if they're using it to their effect to create qualified opportunities and book appointments and everything else, then they're going to get compensated. On it. This is just a, you know, I'm just saying like 
this is actually an easier way of you maybe doing it than sitting there and making 30 calls a day. You can, you can, you can compensate it, Richard uh, Harris. I, uh, when I was at Qualia, I made a big push to get all of my sales team and sales leaders and whatnot to start being active on, on LinkedIn and growing their network. And I had competitions and, and I paid out, you know, 500 bucks here, 500 bucks there for people who hit these particular benchmarks and milestones um, because I knew it would come back to us in terms of pipeline and deal flow for the software that we were selling. That's, so I, I think that's what yeah. I wonder. So you, you can do that kind of thing. You don't so have to, it doesn't have to be part of a comp plan though. You, if you have extra budget to create and gamify it and create a sales contest around it, that was something that worked for me that others might be able to try. That's cool. So, and, and Richard may say, but Rick Scott, there's no budget, which ties <laughs> us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation today. So, but, but I do think that there's something to that because I think what Scott's approach is, is that, and I think some reps might think this unintentionally, but they might think that, oh, Richard Smith's only asking me to do this because he wants me to grow the refract brand, right? He wants me to go get business for them. And Scott's been able to teach both pieces yeah. that, hey, this is about, yes, it's about refract, but it's also about your long-term career growth. I'm here to help you have a career. Look, if you want to stay here at Refract for 10 years, I'm not. But I don't. What I don't understand is why but. people think they're different. Like, they're. It's all tied together. Like, if if Smith grows his personal brand, by nature, Refract is going to get bigger and more well known. They don't have to be separated. Out. Yeah. Um, I don't. Under, be, I don't understand that. Here's the other message I put out there to salespeople listening to this thinking. Uh, thinking of LinkedIn as purely just a something that they, you know, use to as a digital CV, as I call it, a resume, as you guys would say. If I'm hiring a salesperson, I get a CV, a resume, PDF. It's the first thing I do. I see the name. I don't look at anything else in the resume. I type that person's name into LinkedIn. I say, what's what's their profile look like? Are they are they actually actively using LinkedIn? And if I'm doing it. Lots of other sales leaders are doing it. You know, they put, you put your heart and soul into creating a yeah. resume. I, don't, I just don't even read it. Why, why do I care what university you went to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I did, I've been doing the same thing, man. I, I go check somebody out. Are they active? And if they're not, I, I absolutely judge them. And they totally. go straight to the bottom of the, the barrel these, these days. There's a company I'm advising, and I gave that advice yesterday. I gave that advice, Good. Uh, I'm sorry, today, where I'm like, why are you looking at this person? They're 20 years in sales. Sure, everybody says they can do it, but she's got literally 378 connections yeah. on LinkedIn. 20 years in like, sales and you've, you've made 300 connections. Right. Yeah. So, so then I, I turned them on to, you know, uh, you know, a company we all know and respect, you know, unfortunately has had to lay off some people. And I'm like, go talk to those people. They actually are this tool that you're looking to do. Why wouldn't you hire them? Right? Like they, they know the process. So uh, th this has been a great conversation, Mr. Smith. We do appreciate it. The question, you know, the question is, um, will, will Smith's uh, episode be the most downloaded episode from all of our UK uh, guests? Friends. Yeah, you got to beat Disney and, and Perkins. Oh, I, I don't all I don't know if I can beat Disney's. Disney just needs to post once on his LinkedIn. He's got like, you know, 
all these views. I, I I've got. I don't know. Maybe 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 uh, maybe you beat him. Maybe you put in a little bit more. Effort. I'll call it out. I'll call it out and say that Daniel Disney's um, social selling of his own podcast episode is weak. Right. You have like, it. You know, Smith. like that. You can go. You, Gauntlet's been so. thrown. Go get him. Hey, we uh, sure. before we get out of here, what can we do for you? We always try to offer uh, you know, help to to the folks that have come on the show. Um, yeah. Just with your time, is there anything that we can do for you to try to support you and what you're I up think, to in your business? I think the one, the one thing it'd be great to get your advice on is, um, you know, we. I think we've we've always had some challenges being one a UK company in the space that we operate in, and two not necessarily being the most well known. You know, it's it's like I heard I heard Daryl Prail say like you know he gets asked, oh so you're like a, you're like a sales loft or outreach, you know, and we get we get that we get that same thing in our, in our world, and it's like I think there's that. Um, my CEO calls it like um, SAS racism, <laughs> which which exists, which I, I totally I totally agree. Of like you know you kind of you get you get judged about oh so you're, hang on so you're like one of them, um, and I think that's always been a kind of challenge for us, particularly in the US market, some of the US of how do you best um, how do you best get people to kind of see beyond that of just thinking, all oh, right, you're not one of them. So we're not going to take you as seriously. And I think it's a, a lot of it is a, it's a brand thing. It's a, it's a perception thing. And it's, you know, if you're not, if you're not one of those companies, that's kind of, you know, upper right on G2 crowd, it's kind of like, what, why, why should we be looking at you? And um, yeah, just, just curious to hear your thoughts and advice on that. Well, I'm, I oddly feel compelled to, embrace when somebody says oh you're like so and so and like such and such so rather than fight it or get frustrated with it i'd be like yes exactly except and now i have the opportunity to differentiate myself and that differentiation has nothing to do with geographic location of the community it has to do with what we do that that particular group um, you know, hasn't put as much emphasis on or is lacking. So when I was building out uh, this last um, company, Qualia, we would call up title insurance companies and they'd be like, oh, you're like SoftPro. Oh, you're like ResRed. Like, yes, yeah. except those were built in 1980 and are on-prem and we're the first cloud-based uh, settlement system that's out there. So I, I use it as a way to sort of legitimatize us to be honest with you, like, yes, we are just like them. Right. And so, and I've said this to Daryl, I've been like, yeah, you should, you should just be like, yeah, we're exactly like sales loft and outreach in, in, in terms of like what we're trying to do, but here's how we're different. Mm -hmm. And so you might, you might kind of take that tact and, and rather than being frustrated by it, maybe there's a way to just embrace it that legitimatizes you um, a little more. What do you think Harris? I, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. I think the other piece, and, and maybe you're doing it and I don't see it, is that it feels like some of the competitors in your space um, are doing their LinkedIn approach like you do, but they're doing it at a company level, right? They are, but they're, but they're also putting out a ton of research, right? They're putting out data. They're putting out the stuff that's the meat on the bone, right? And I think that 
you know, that social proof, that real proof is what really, really matters. And um, I don't know if they have a, you know, if in marketing they have this person who just focuses on this, con it's clearly some, right. some form of content marketing. Right. And then getting that out there. So I don't know if that's how you guys approach that, but I see that as, well, they, as the two, well, two Smith pieces. Smith said it. I mean, they, they, maybe it has to do with brand. Yes, it has to do with brand. Like you're losing on brand because some of these other people have an army of employees who are all being very active in terms of their own personal engagement and brand building the way you are. So you're going to lose 10 to 1, 50 to 1, if there's only one person in, in a particular organization and you know i don't know if you agree with this but it certainly seems to me that there are many more america than in the based on based on the quality of what they say or anything like that don't get me wrong but just based on network size um and so that might be you know an area of opportunity to to try to grow, you know, your guys' business and, and whatnot. I think it, right. I also think it's becoming a job requirement. Like I actually, for this, this I do company, too. Not, we've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but not for, for the company I was referring to this morning, I said, your job description needs to say that they have to be able to demonstrate sociability specifically on LinkedIn to their targeted market. They happen to be selling to heads of sales and heads of revenue. That's a job requirement. Yeah. That's, yeah. That to me is almost more important than, the ability to make 200 dials a day. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. We really appreciate you spending some time with us this evening and uh, wish you all the best, man. It's been great kind of getting to know you over the last uh, couple weeks and months. I will say during our uh, UK versus USA uh, game, you, in my opinion, were the only one that really kind of understood what this particular game was all about. Uh, you, and what I mean by that is like, you'd get in, you'd try to talk fast, you make your points, try to get out. And we, all the American guys on the, on the side were like, man, uh, Dunning and Costas, these guys are just taking way too long to speak. They don't, understand what's, they don't understand what's going on here. And Disney's just asleep at the wheel somewhere. So, you know, I, I give you credit. You, you, you held your own quite well in my estimation. Here's another. I appreciate that. Um, although I'm probably now the most hated in, in that in, in my team, they probably resent resent me now. Um, but here, here's a thing. Four five years ago, I tried a number of times to prospect Scott Lease as a as a salesperson. No shit. Uh, and failed miserably, obviously. Um, but now, fast forward a few years later, I'm now you know speaking with him on a, on a, on his podcast. So that just goes to show salespeople out there that. Play the long game. I mean, I can't sell them now. He's not a VP of sales anymore, but, you know, <laughs> never mind. We're friends. Uh, that's great. That's, that's hilarious. hilarious. That's amazing. What a great story. All right, bud. We got to get out of here. Right, Thank you, you so much, man. Cheers, guys. Cheers.